When you were younger, did you ever have a dream? Maybe the dream of being selected to play on a particular sports team or to be voted as the president of your sixth grade class. Me? I had a dream. I wanted to be a cheerleader. It's true, painfully true. <clears throat> but I was uh, entering the seventh grade. I was not particularly popular, but that was something I wanted to do. So I practiced my handsprings and cartwheels and splits and everything, but well, I wasn't particularly popular and I wasn't shaped like Twiggy, and that kind of made those victory jumps a little hard to get off the ground, if you know what I mean. And so seventh grade came and I wasn't chosen. I tried out in the eighth grade and I wasn't chosen. By the ninth grade, I decided not only would I learn every cheer, but I would learn the moves to every dance, so I was prepared. I wasn't chosen. By the 10th grade, my mother stepped in. I mean, she put her foot down and suggested that I put my energies elsewhere. Thank you, mother. <laughs> but maybe you remember something like that in your adolescent years. Maybe you had a similar incident and felt that your value as a human being declined just a little bit every time that you were not chosen or you were overlooked. From my experience of trying out and not getting selected for three years in a row, I began to feel that my value was being measured by the way I looked in my awkward adolescent body and not at all with what was going on inside of me, inside my heart. And you know, that's the way the world measures us, isn't it? The world looks at our outside appearance and doesn't look within. But today, today I hope that you learn that this is exactly where we find David at the beginning of his story. He is the kid who was looked over, left out. He was not noticed. But this is not the end of his story. And I dare say it is not the end of your story either. Today, we're beginning a sermon series on the life of King David. You see, roughly 3,000 years ago, God chose David, this young man, this young boy at the time, to be the king of Israel. And God chose him not on the basis of his outward appearance, but on something that was deep inside of him, in his heart. Out of all of the sons of Jesse, David's father, the favor of God landed on the one named David, the youngest son of this poor farmer of this tiny village of Bethlehem. Truly, David wasn't even really respected by the members of his own family. He was like the runt, the youngest, the one out there tending sheep. He was kind of a nobody, perhaps living in a family of nobodies, yet by the grace of God, David became the greatest king in the history of Israel, and he also became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ and is listed as one of the heroes of the faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews in the New Testament. During his life, David received great promises and remarkable blessings from the hand of God, but greatest of all, he was truly one who served Yahweh, who served God. Listen to what is reflected in Acts in the New Testament in the 13th chapter. In his testimony about him, God said, 
I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart who will carry out all my wishes. Now, some of you may be wondering, why are we going to do a sermon series on a guy who's been dead over 3,000 years? But the short answer is that David achieved something in his life that God wishes that all of us would achieve. David became a man after God's own heart. And a study of his life may teach us how we could do that as well. For David was not perfect. Far from it. In fact, some have called him the greatest saint and the greatest sinner of the Old Testament. Perhaps that's why we love him so much. We admire his strengths and we empathize with his weaknesses. He failed, and he failed big. But he kept short accounts with God. He sinned, but he was quick to confess his sin, and he displayed genuine repentance, sincere regret, and authentic sorrow. David has much to teach us about obedience and faith and worship. And in his life, we see that what God can do with a person who yields their very self to the channel of God's power and seeks forgiveness in one's failures. So during this month of August, we're going to be looking at several stories of the life of David. And today, we're going to focus on call, on David's call, David's anointing by God to be king. The story comes from 1 Samuel that Flossie uh, shared with us so well a moment ago. And it's the story of David's anointing by Samuel. He was anointed. He was set apart for future service. He was called by God to lead God's people. Now, in Bible times, people were anointed with oil as a signifying God's blessing or call that was on that person's life. A person was anointed for a special purpose, a particular task. Perhaps they were called to be a prophet and anointed, or king, or builder, or a teacher. There was this particular purpose called they were being called by God to fulfill. Sometimes we anoint people with oil, sometimes healing oil, but particularly in this, the way they're using it in the scripture today is to be set aside for a reason, for a particular task. It is like an affirmation that the church is offering to that one saying, we see what God is doing in your life. We want to encourage you in that what God is calling you to do. We are affirming that. So today, during communion, after you've taken the elements, Debbie and I are going to be on different sides, and we're going to offer an anointing oil. You can choose to stop by if you wish, simply to say, we affirm what God is doing in your life, and we encourage you to listen to what God is calling, putting on your heart to do. So David's being anointed. He's set aside to this, for this future service. Now that is a really big deal. And Samuel is a little bit anxious about this because Saul is still sitting on the throne. And he's like, as Flossie said, God, Samuel Saul, will be killed by Saul if Saul hears of this. And no doubt the town leaders are a little anxious too to see Saul's representatives coming to town. And they ask, do you come in peace? Clearly they were trembling with fear. Yes, I've come, and he makes the excuse of coming to offer a sacrifice, and that's the way they get into the, their good graces. Anointing a new king while one is still sitting on the throne is risky business, 
And in the story, tension builds as God somehow instructs the prophet not to anoint the obvious choices, the beautiful people, if you will, the ones that the political consultants or the talk show hosts would choose today, you know, the ones with the best numbers in the polls or the best face for television, the ones who somehow appear more qualified because they are taller or stronger or have some way made themselves seem more capable. Surely, the Lord's anointed is before me now as he looks on Eliab. Don't you know he wanted to pour that oil right on his head? However, the prophet Samuel understands that God is not concerned with the outward appearance, but God looks deep within the heart of the person, the core, the center of the one to be anointed. Verse 7 says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals who look on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. So one by one, the sons of Jesse are paraded before Samuel, and he looks at each one, he listens for God's word, and he passes on each one. Are all of your sons here, he finally asks. Well, there is this one that's left out in the field tending sheep that, you know, that dirty, lowly job of tending sheep. There's this one, the youngest one. And so they say, send for him. Send for that one that's left out, the one that's not considered, the one that's not included, the one that's not even named at this point in the story. And when David was brought before the prophet, Samuel sees something in him that others do not see. God has enabled him to see a hidden potential for greatness in this child, this kid who's been left out, passed over, not even chosen for the lineup. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. And as the anointing oil was being poured over David's head, the scriptures say the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So who would have thought it? Who would have thought that those older, taller, finer sons would be passed over? They would be rejected. And who knew what potential lay in this young child? Who knew what power God would give to this powerless one, this uncredentialed, the marginalized one who has no social claim to make. But God chose this insignificant shepherd boy as the one through whom God's purpose would be accomplished. For 3,000 years, the story of David's anointing by Samuel, God has reminded God's people that God chooses whom God chooses. God chooses whom God chooses. And God often surprises us because God does not look on an outward appearance, but he looks within our hearts. David's story reminds me of a fictitious character from a novel by, James, by John Irving, a, a character who was chosen to serve in a particular way to lead his people when the time was right. Perhaps you've read the novel, A Prayer for Owen Meany. It was probably 20 years ago it was written. But in the story, the narrator, uh, who's also the author, has this to say about the main character. As a full-grown adult, Owen Meany would stand only five feet tall and weigh 100 pounds, the minimum required for the United States Army. And as a child, he was so small that the other children would pick him up and pass him over their heads in Sunday school class. 
just because they could do it while they remained seated in their chairs. They did this because they loved to hear him complain. You see, Owen also has something wrong with his voice. His voice doesn't grow either. He speaks with a permanent cracked falsetto, a strange squeak. And although Owen takes himself very seriously, it's extremely hard for anyone else to because he is so small. But Owen is a very serious character. He believes that he is one of the chosen ones. He is a chosen one. And he believes that his life is following some divine plan. An anointed, uh, an anointed narrative, if you will, authored by God. To Owen Meany, everything in his life happens for a reason. He is small for a reason. He has a voice that never changes for a reason. And so does the narrator, John. Now, if you want to know exactly the full divine plan that happens in the book, you'll need to read it. But Owen Meany has a profound impact on his friend, John Wheelwright. And he writes this in the opening paragraph of the book. I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice, or even because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death. You'll have to read the book to understand that. But because he is the reason I believe in God. I am a Christian because of Owen Meany. I make no claims to have a life in Christ or with Christ, or certainly not for Christ, which I have heard some zealots claim. I'm not very sophisticated in my knowledge of the Old Testament, and I've not read the New Testament since Sunday school, except what I hear read in church. I make no claims to be especially pious. I have a church rummage faith, the kind that needs patching up every week. But what faith I do have, I owe to Owen Meany. As a boy I grew up with, it was Owen who made me a believer. Well, in this fictitious story, God acts in a way that reminds me of the way God acted in young David's life. God chooses whom God chooses. In the novel, Owen was anointed, if you will, for a particular task to do something amazing. God chose one whom we wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do this incredible task just when the people needed him to do it. According to the novel, it's as if Owen's whole life has been building up to this moment when he was needed to play a critical role. If you haven't read the book, the movie Simon Birch is loosely uh, built on this novel as well. So you might want to read that, watch that. Anyway, it's a great novel. But because of his delicate size and his childlike voice, Owen was able to calm a fearful and anxious group of children and lead them through some terrifying moments to safety. Owen was uniquely called, gifted, anointed to lead the people at a certain time in his town's uh, history, his country's history, and he rose to the occasion. Now, Jim Harnish wrote a book some years back called Power, Passion, and Praise. It's available over in the bookstore, but in it he writes, a calling is an inner awareness that God has a divine purpose for our existence it's a deep sense of being at home with the person we are becoming. Now, I'm not sure that day that David was anointed that he fully understand this call that was being placed on his life. He had to live into that. 
for God's unique calling for David's life came to him through this prophet Samuel. And for most of us, I imagine our calling often comes from an, our inner awareness, often comes from maybe a personal mentor who speaks to us with prophetic sensitivity when we have ears to hear, who releases the hidden possibilities within us. For me, I did not become a school cheerleader. But those painful feelings of inadequacy and rejection were lessened when my mother suggested I put my energies elsewhere. And so I did. I strengthened my friendships with my friends at church, and I became much more involved, and my faith grew. And several years later, I found myself working one summer with a Christian educator. And out on a mission trip to Oklahoma on the Cherokee with the Cherokee people, she said to me, Sally, you have what it takes to work in the church. She was my Samuel, if you will. She didn't say, you're going to be a minister. She didn't say that. But her words laid the groundwork of her foundation that was very helpful for me. Her words of encouragement, sensitively timed, were incredibly helpful. So what is going on with you these days? What is the condition of your heart? Do you feel an inner awareness that God has a divine purpose for your life? That God is leading you, calling you in a different direction? Perhaps you've taken the spiritual gifts inventory online or in the new member class, and you feel that those gifts are an affirmation from God to serve in a particular way. Or have you had a Samuel-like prophet encourage you lately in your own life? Encourage you to look at a new opportunity uh, to serve in a different way where you are feeling a deep sense of being at home? Are you feeling that gentle tug of God even now on your life? Or do you think you know someone who is being called, who is being set aside by God for future service? And if so, are you supporting them, encouraging them, praying for them, mentoring them? For we never know what a gentle word of encouragement, sensitively time, can do to help someone fulfill their calling as a child of God. It can have powerful results. You know, we're about to start a new school year. And here at Hyde Park, Megan and Kristen and Alicia are busily preparing for this next year. They're working with their shepherds and their small group leaders, and they are preparing programming for Sunday morning live and weekly activities. And around the office, you can actually feel the excitement as things are gearing up. And maybe you want to participate with them. But I believe that somewhere out there in this congregation or in this community, there is a five-year-old boy or girl who doesn't know that right now plans are being made by a committed group of Christian leaders in this church for weekly Bible studies and activities that will change the very direction of their lives. Maybe it will be a song or a talk that is given or something that the teacher does to make that child feel welcomed and affirmed and included that will move that child to discovering that they are a son or daughter of God and quite possibly a child of God who is called to lead God's people in the days ahead. And so in thinking about church leadership, leadership right around here, I wonder who are the leaders among us 
who are being anointed right now, who are being called, that we need to support. One pastor reminded me, God gives you and me the same responsibility today that he gave Samuel 3,000 years ago. For God calls all of us to identify good and strong leaders for God's people and then to nurture and equip and support those leaders. And you can bet that in this church, more than one Sunday school teacher is being nurtured, more than one choir member is being shaped, more than one community leader is being formed, more than one person is being inspired and called for God's service. They may not look like leaders right now, but God has already looked deep in their hearts. God knows how much our community, our world, needs good leaders needs God's leaders. So do not discount them just because they are not popular or not good-looking or not even well-behaved. Hmm. Do not discount them because they are only bell ringers or members of the children's choir. And do not discount them because they sit at your dinner table at night. Friends, we are to listen for the ways that God is calling us, speaking to us, Maybe God is calling you to serve in a different way, a new way. But we are also called to listen to the way God is moving us to help raise up leaders in our community. For God has already chosen many of them, and our job is to see them and through God's eyes rather than our own. And when we see them, to encourage them, to pray for them, and then to follow. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, help us to see as you see. Help us to notice the invisible ones, the ones who are out tending sheep, the ones who have been passed over, the ones who are not noticed. And help us to encourage them to listen for your voice. And God, help each one of us be willing to serve in ways that you are calling so we can all experience that deep sense of being at home in your service. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.